1996, an eponymous EP by a band called Gamma Ray was released, and people said, hey, it's a guy from Caius in a new band. But wait, who's that providing the sweet falsetto style vocals? Why, if it isn't Caius's main man on guitar, Josh Homme. Yes, back in 1995, Homme had flown John Garcia from Caius and Chris Goss up to Seattle to work with him. While recording the EP, Garcia was on backing vocals, while Homme took the lead. Garcia found the idea of the studio role reversal funny. Many people were taken aback to hear Homme sing, but it was no surprise for Garcia, who was used to him singing the Caius lyrics in the studio, to teach Garcia the melodies. I always wondered throughout the entire Caius years why he even needed me, John Garcia. On side A of the Gamma Ray EP was If Only Everything, later re-recorded as If Only, and on the other side was the hip-swivelling Born to Hula, later re-recorded for B-sides and bonus material. In 1997, we then had a fantastic untitled split album between Caius and someone called, you guessed it, Queens of the Stone Age. Why the name change? Well, Homie had been sent a cease and desist order from a German power band, Gamma Ray. Here's more of the Homie quote from my overview. Kings would be too macho. The kings of the Stone Age wear armour and have axes and wrestle. The queens of the Stone Age hang out with the kings of the Stone Age's girlfriends when they wrestle. And also, it was a name given to us by Chris Goss. Rock should be heavy enough for the boys and sweet enough for the girls. That way, everyone's happy, and it's more of a party. Kings of the Stone Age is too lopsided. Personally, I think it's a cool, well-intentioned name. It's never quite clear whether Queens is meant to refer to royal family queens or really fabulous queens, but there's a note in the bio about someone making a limp-wristed skeleton model in the studio one time, so I suspect it's a bit of both. Either way, it was an attempt to turn down the macho from the days of Caius and songs such as Big Bikes. So, with Garcia's one-off backing vocals, Vic the Stick in Drizzle on drums, and Van Connor on bass, we have lineup number one for the untitled Queens of the Stone Age and Caius split album. The new record label Electra took If Only Everything and Born to Hula from the Gamma Ray EP and added a third track. Spiders and Vinegaroons. Bits of this split album are out there in the real world and online and I recommend you go find it. Spiders and Vinegaroons is an especially odd track. On the split, you can literally feel the shift from Caius to Queens of the Stone Age begin. However, our Queens of the Stone Age immersion proper begins with album number one, Queens of the Stone Age, self-titled released in 1998. After the release of the Caius Quartzer split in December 1997, anticipation began to build. Homie's new outfit were testing new material at live gigs, one of which was attended by Pearl Jam guitarist Steve Gossard. Gossard swooped in and offered Homie a deal with his small label, Loose Groove, which was exactly the kind of major label avoidance Homie had been looking for. The majors play games. We play music, Josh Homme. The final recording of the album took place at Monkey Studios in Palm Springs in April 98. The absence of Garcia and the other split collaborators means we can officially call this 
What's a lineup number two? But deciphering who actually did what is not so straightforward. Homi appears to have done almost everything, including bass under the pseudonym Carlo. Hernandez is back on drums. Chris Goss didn't produce, but he appears to have helped out with the bass and backing vocals on a couple of tracks. The overleaf I'm looking at is in Spanish and also credits Hutch Frente, presumably that is Patrick Hutch Hutchinson, who is also credited for playing piano on the final track, I Was a Teenage Hand Model. Yo fui un modelo de mano adolescente. Hutch had been the sound man for Caius. He's also responsible for producing novel stage props and lighting, some of which I've been lucky enough to see firsthand. In some ways, he's considered to be part of Queens of the Stone Age, lasting a lot longer than many of the other contributors. I Was a Teenage Hand Model is the only track not recorded at Monkey Studios and was instead made back during the desert sessions at Rancho de la Luna. The desert sessions were a very important part of the Quartz's story and one we don't have time for, but I highly recommend doing your own research if you don't know about them. Another contributor to that song is the Answer Machine recording of Nick Oliveri agreeing to be in the band. You can just about hear it over the very, very loud whirring and beeping at the end of the album. Despite not playing on the album, Oliveri had been invited to join Homie's new outfit back in March 97. Homie had been playing at South by Southwest in Texas when he heard that Oliveri was next door with his new band, Mondo Generator. I said to some friends, let's go see my friend Nick's band. We walk in and Nick is completely naked, except for a pair of black Converse and black socks. I am exchanging looks with Fredo, then Nick lights this piece of paper on fire, puts something in his mouth and turns around and blows the fire right into the audience right through all these record people and they're like ah I looked over at Fredo and I'm like dude I'm calling in Nick right now Nick's inclusion would bring us to lineup number three the lineup that began touring the album in 1998 with occasional appearances from Dave Catching on guitar so lineup 3.5 there the question often posed was how are Queens of the Stone Age different from Caius Homie's replies often contains words like tighter, stripped down, transient, robotic. We wanted to get away from Caius and not be Caius too. The reception from Caius fans was mixed, which was fine with Homie. I've always been into frustrating some percentage of the audience. I'm sure some Caius fans were disappointed, but it seems most are not. In a way, I want some to be disappointed a little. We can't be the same band forever. The debut self-titled album was remastered and re-released in 2011 on Homie's own label and featured several of the aforementioned B-sides. Album number two, Rated R, released in 2000. Nicotine, Valium, Vicodin, Marijuana, Ecstasy, Alcohol... Uh, can't remember, there's, there's another one. Uh, I'll come back to it. Off the back of their debut album, Quatsa hit the road in 1999 and began extensive touring in the US and Europe with the likes of Smashing Pumpkins and Ween. Their popularity was growing, but it seemed that the desire to adhere to so-called punk ethics and small labels was waning. It was time to embrace something corporate. So that year, when Interscope came a-knocking, 
Homie said yes. Interscope are alright. I think we came to the label because of their ability to push bands like Primus, which isn't necessarily a band I like, but they're really bizarre. Josh Homie there, almost complimenting Primus. Sadly, drummer Alfredo Hernandez said no. The touring and growing pressure wasn't for him, and so the position was given to Gene Troutman, lineup number four. Troutman had played with Caius for a couple of weeks in the early days and was apparently disappointed when Hernandez was chosen over him. All I can say is, he's a really nice guy, because I fucking met him in a skanky noodle bar next to a club in Glasgow. Oh yeah. Oliveri was fully on board now, taking up the role of scary angry man to Homie's sweeter, more romantic role. Unlike with Caius, there was a move to get Oliveri sharing vocals with Homie from the start. We'll even do a duet with Donna Summer, Homie said, in an attempt to show just how willing the band were to push boundaries. I don't know if Ms Summer was ever contacted, but Oliveri certainly got his chance to shine on the album. The new record landed during the infamous New Metal Wave, but Quatsa were determined to stay clear of it. Oliveri said he could appreciate why the kids liked it, but that it was too angry for him and not his cup of tea. Strong words indeed. So, instead of hiring a DJ and singing about cars rolling, 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 Quatsa took their solid, heavy sound from their debut album to the legendary Sound City and decided to lighten it up with some crisper, catchier choruses. To counterbalance this, they also let loose with some more experimental outliers to ensure that their sound remained tricky to pigeonhole. The band members listed on the album are Homi, Oliveri, Troutman, along with favourites Goss, Backus producer, Johnson and Catching. As well as the usual desert dwellers, the album also included a special rock and roll guest, but more on that in a second. We also had Mark Lanigan provided some amazing lead vocals and backing vocals. Personally, I think Lanigan provides a nice bridge between Homie's soft vocals and Oliveri's screaming, and despite taking lead only on a few Quatsa tracks, it definitely feels like he leaves his mark. There are several other personnel credits on the album too, various backing vocals and instruments that contributed to the record and went on to tour it, so line up 4.5. Rated R was accidentally released under the name 2 before some hasty correction. It came with a single released in August 2000, The Lost Art of Keeping a Secret. Here's a homie quote on the song from the biography, in response to a question about whether he'd been surprised that it was a hit. It's not a hit type song, because it's not for kids. A record company were like, hmm, this is going to be a hit, and I'm like, a hit with whom? It's about fucking. 21 year olds, maybe, they were trying to shove it down the throats of 13 year olds. In fact, the name had been chosen due to homie's prescient musings about censorship. Specifically, that people seem to be more interested in blanket banning words, with no consideration of intent or context. He even used the album title as part of his defence when the complaints about his explicit content rolled in. The clues in the name, Rated R. This was further compounded by the second single from the album, which was to cause a whole host of other controversy. The entire lyrics are simply a short list of drugs repeated over and over. Nicotine, Valium, Vicodin, Marijuana, Ecstasy, Alcohol and Cocaine. 
that was it. Here are six sexy factoids about the track in question. Fact number one. Judas Priest singer Rob Halford is the aforementioned rock and roll special guest. He had been in Sound City and was hanging out with Chris Goss and he was asked if he would sing on the album. When he was given the lyrics he joked, oh, a rock and roll cocktail, I think I invented that. So it's Halford you hear on the final hissed cocaine and whispering throughout the song. Fact number two. Homie felt that the song itself was an attempt to play around with the stoner rock label that he'd never quite taken to. The song obviously did nothing to dispel the idea of Quatsa being a drug band. Question on the topic of drugs, Homie often responds by saying something like he is libertarian. Fact number three. Shops like Walmart were predictably unhappy with the track being on the album, but music critics were largely positive with what Homie called his social experiment. Fact number four. The song gets a nice reprise later in the album and features again, in a way, on the next album. Fact number five. Despite all the fuss, it was used in a video by Colorado Police Department and other police departments to demonstrate the dangers of drunk driving. Something Homie seemed to really relish. Fact number six. My favourite fact is that they tried to open a set with it in 2007 at a rehab clinic in LA and were immediately chucked out by security. This begs the question, who would book Quadza to play in a rehab clinic? Who would book anyone to play in a rehab clinic? If their debut album had put Queens of the Stone Age on the map, then Rated R put a big blue pin in it. It may have failed to reach the Billboard 200 in the US, but UK fans were lapping it up, with the album peaking at 54 in the mainstream UK chart and doing even better on the alt-rock scene. The band won Best International Newcomer at the Kerrang Awards in 2000, and over 20 years later, several critics still cite it as one of the best albums of the decade.